We're going to talk a lot today about being thankful. I'm thankful for the opportunity to be able to preach the Word of God every week, just about. And uh, you know, to some of you, it, the thought of standing up and speaking publicly may terrify you. The thought of standing up and speaking publicly about the Bible may terrify you. And um, it did me for a long time. Uh, still does sometimes, but it, it also just really gets me going. I just love that I get to do this, and I wish that everybody could experience the um, fulfillment that comes from being able to do what God has called you to do. It's It just truly is a humbling uh, opportunity, and just every single week I just go home and I give thanks to God that He would actually allow me to do this. So for us, Thanksgiving is, is about a lot of things. Um, it may be to you, it may be about pilgrims. So if you're a, if you're a kid in the room and you have a pilgrim hat, wave it. Let's see it. Alright. It was either that or turkeys to put in their head. Um, but we know that we have a room full of a bunch of turkeys, so I thought the pilgrim hats would be a little more suited. No, it may be about pilgrims. It may be about turkey. I mean, it may be about food in general. It may be about my wife's sweet potato casserole with the, you know, browned marshmallows on top and, um, it's all good. All right. It's getting close to that time. So when you start talking about that stuff, um, the deep fried turkey, the turkey that's been in the oven for four hours, it may be about the, um, pumpkin pie or as my sister likes to make, uh, a pumpkin pie cheesecake, which is wonderful. Um, if you're like me, you just really appreciate the opportunity, just a, a good solid day to kind of shut down and rest, to mentally maybe shut your brain off a little bit. Um, and which brings me to the next thing I'm thankful for, which is football, which allows me to, you know, shut my brain down for a while. I'm always thankful for that. Um, but it's still really just about that main thing. We make it about a lot of other stuff. Family, food, pie, you know, football, rest. But ultimately, it's about thanks. Thanks to God. And I was thinking this week um, about a particular quote. I wanted to share it with you. Because in the, in the midst of the atrocities of a war, one president in our nation um, listed in a public proclamation the blessings of our nation that God had given us. And he went on to say this. That president said this, in the midst of war, he had the common sense and reason to proclaim to the American people this. He said, No human counsel hath devised, nor hath any mortal hand worked out these great things. Talking about the blessings of our nation and our people. They are the gracious gifts of the Most High God, who while dealing with us in anger for our sins, hath nevertheless remembered mercy. It has seemed to me fit and proper that they should be solemnly, reverently, and gratefully acknowledged as with one heart and one voice by the whole American people. I do therefore invite my fellow citizens in every part of the United States and also those who are at sea and those who are sojourning in foreign lands to set apart and observe the last Thursday of November next as a day of thanksgiving and praise to our beneficent Father who dwelleth in the heavens. And I recommend to them that while offering up the ascriptions justly due to him for such singular deliverances and um, perversiveness or deliverances and blessings, they do also with humble penitence for our national perversiveness and disobedience commend to his tender care all those who have become widows, orphans, mourners, or sufferers in the lamentable civil strife in which we are unavoidably engaged and fervently implore the interposition of the Almighty Hand to heal the wounds of the nation and to restore it as soon as may be consistent 
with the divine purposes to the full enjoyment of peace, harmony, and tranquility and union. In testimony whereof I have hereunto set my hand and caused the seal of the United States to be affixed, done at the city of Washington this third day of October in the year of our Lord 1863 and of the independence of the United States the 88th by the President Abraham Lincoln. Presidents just don't speak like that anymore. I wish they did. I wish that we had presidents who would recognize the blessings of the Almighty. And also, did you hear what he did? He said, I ask that in the midst of our sin and our perversiveness and our atrocities that we would confess. Because it's a a grace that we do not deserve, but that has been bestowed upon us nonetheless. And that he might heal us as a nation. Not much has changed in 160 years, has it? As a nation, we still need to humble ourselves, give thanks to God for the blessings that He has bestowed upon us that we do not deserve, and pray for unity in the midst of our civil strife in our nation. We think we get better as a people as the years go past, and we don't. We don't. One of the main points for us today is remembering and giving thanks begins and ends with God. Let me share with you another story out of the Scriptures that illustrates this really well. I'm going to ask you to turn in your Bibles to Joshua chapter 4, if you haven't done that already. Joshua chapter 4. Finally, the Israelites are about to receive their promised land. They're about to receive the biggest gift, blessing that the Lord could possibly bestow upon them at this point. They stand on one side of the Jordan River, and as a nation of people, they are about to march into the promised land, and it is to become theirs. And this is what happens in Joshua chapter 4. When all the nation had finished passing over the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Take twelve men from the people, from each tribe a man, and command them, saying, Take twelve stones from here, out of the midst of the Jordan, from the very place where the priest's feet stood firmly, and bring them over with you, and lay them down in the place where you lodge tonight. Then Joshua called the twelve men from the people of Israel, whom he had appointed, a man from each tribe. And Joshua said to them, Pass on before the ark of the Lord your God in the midst of the Jordan and take up each of you a stone upon his shoulder according to the number of the tribes of the people of Israel that this may be a sign among you. When your children ask in time to come, what do these stones mean to you? Then you shall tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it passed over the Jordan, The waters of the Jordan were cut off. So these stones shall be to the people of Israel a memorial forever. And the people of Israel did just as Joshua commanded and took up twelve stones out of the midst of the Jordan according to the number of tribes of the people of Israel, just as the Lord told Joshua. And they carried them over with um, them to the place where they lodged and laid them down there. And Joshua set up twelve stones in the midst of the Jordan in the place where the feet of the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant had stood, and they are there to this day. There are, I want to communicate this morning, um, some reasons why giving thanks begins and ends with God. And then I kind of want to wrap up our message with some practical things, biblically speaking, that we need to thank God for today. Um, I think with regards to this text in Joshua, it's important to remember that um, as we give thanks to God, remembrance and thanks starts with God, who is a God of promise. We thank God because God is a God of promise. We remember God because God is a God of promise. We remember the things that God has done in our life because He is a God of promise. Did you notice that in this text, in verse 5, each man picked up the stone 
And then Joshua had them pass before the ark. The ark of what? The ark of the covenant. You know, it, it's made for some great movies along the years. The Indiana Jones Ark of the Covenant. What is this? This is the Ark of the Covenant. When they, when uh, God God laid out the tabernacle, He laid out the prescription for what the Ark would look like, and it was a box on poles, and it was ornately decorated and in leafed gold, and inside of it were some significant things. But it represented a couple things. It represented the presence of God, and it also it also represented the promise of God. The ark symbolized God's presence and the ark symbolized God's promise. This is what God had commanded and promised Joshua a little bit earlier in chapter 1. He said this to Joshua in verses 2 to 5. He told him, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving to them to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses, from the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, and the land of the Hittites to the great sea, toward the going down of the sun, shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life, just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. This was a land of promise. This was a land that God himself had promised to give to the Israelites. As the Israelites claimed that promise, they walked before the ark, the presence of God, and it symbolized something very significant. This is not of your taking. This is not of your doing. This land is not something that you acquired of your own. You must pass before the Lord, the Lord who has promised these things to you. It is His to give to you. It is not yours that you deserve. Now this is significant in our life, folks, because let's be honest, if we're thinking about it um, and we're being honest with God and honest with ourselves, there are many things in our life that we cling to today that we think we deserve. We think we've earned. We think that we've acquired for ourselves. And to be honest, there is not one good thing in our life that is not a result of the fact that God has been good to us first. It starts with Him. It starts with the promises that He has made to His people in His Word. In the ark would be found several important things. In this box, you would find some stuff. Hey, uh, Scott, is there any way, am I in the monitors up here because it sounds like I'm in a cacophony of just myself, which, thank you, that helps out a lot. Last thing I need to do is listen to myself. Um, In the ark would be found his commandments, the tablets, you know, that had the Ten Commandments on them, they would be in there. And would you would be found Moses' staff, you know, the one that he threw down, it would be the one that would bud uh, with live shoots. This in that uh, box would also be found uh, manna. Manna. Now the manna would rot if the Israelites didn't pick it up off the ground in a certain period of time. But this particular manna, God preserved in the Ark of the Covenant. Why? Why? Because the manna is just another symbol. The staff of Moses is another symbol. The Ten Commandments are another symbol. That This is a God of covenant. This is a God who keeps His Word. This is a God who promises and does not go back on His Word. Thanksgiving is a good time to center around the one and only constant thing that we have to stand on. And that's Him. We... We don't stand on our blessings. There's no guarantee that if you're going to have a table full of family and a table full of food this Thursday, this Thanksgiving, that 365 days from now, your life is going to look anything like it looks this Thursday. You know what I'm saying? What is it that keeps us in supply of food? What is it that keeps us in possession of loved ones? What is it that guarantees the... 
a lot of things can happen in 365 days. And the only thing that sustains us is not the up and down of changes in our life. I mean, my goodness, if we trusted on circumstance every day for happiness, we would be miserable people, would we not? It's not circumstances. It's not food that makes us happy. It's not um, the uh, the affection or lack of affection from other people that makes us happy. It's the consistent love of God through His Word and through His promises that brings us joy. That's what we need to focus on on Thanksgiving. The stuff is nice. The blessings, the tangible things, yes, we need to give thanks for those, and yes, those are, are reasons to give thanks to God. But ultimately, what we need to give thanks for is the promise of God in our life. His presence in our life. The Abrahamic covenant was, um, he said through Abraham, his promise was, that I'll make you a great nation and a great people. The Mosaic Covenant was keep my commandments and you'll experience life. The New Testament Covenant is this. Trust in God's Son and experience grace, forgiveness, and freedom leading to eternal life. That's the words of Paul in 2 Corinthians 3 when he said this, We are confident of all this because of our great trust in God through Christ. It's not that we think we are qualified to do anything on our own. Our qualification comes from God. He has enabled us to be ministers of His new covenant. This is a covenant not of written laws, but of the Spirit. The old written covenant ends in death, but under the new covenant, the Spirit gives life. Why do we give thanks to God? It's because we have an unending, unchanging, immutable promise in Christ in the New Testament. Jesus Christ coming into your life is the greatest symbol and reason for thanksgiving. It says that nothing can ever snatch you out of the hand of God. Through Christ, nothing can ever take away your promise of eternal life. When we come to the table of thanksgiving this year, when we celebrate on Thursday, when we rest and we relax and we enjoy loved ones, and we eat the sweet potato casserole, and we eat the deep fried turkey or whatever you're doing, I just want I want a heart reset this year. To where we say, all oh, this stuff is so good, God, and thank you for this. But thank you that if any of this goes away, I'm still good because I have Christ. We are good because we have Christ. That's why my pastor used to always preach and teach that um, what's the greatest responsibility you have towards another person? If, If a person, a stranger, if their house is burning down and they're about to be homeless, what's their greatest need at that moment? It's not a new house. It's not blankets. It's not food. It's not the Red Cross. It's none of that. If a person's home is burning down, their greatest need at that moment is salvation in Jesus Christ. Because a house burns down in about an hour. Eternity burns forever if you're in hell. Now, do we offer blankets? Do we give gifts in order to love on people practically? Absolutely. But the Gospel is the Gospel. Christ is where people need to find their assurance and their promise and their hope. So what do we do? We pick up our stones. We look at our life. We look at the good things God has given us. We look at the grace of Christ. And we pick up our stones. We read God's freeing Word and we celebrate and we give thanks as we remember. Now the second thing here is this. Remembrance and thanks is due to our God of not just promise, but of provision. Of provision. Yeah, God makes promises and He keeps His Word and the way He does that is through provision. Each man represented a tribe here. Whoops. 
Each man represented a tribe. And the tribe, there were 12 of them. So God said, I want you to take a leader from each tribe, and that man is going to come, and he's going to pick up a stone. This, Each one of these men represented a tribe that grew. This tribe grew through hardship. This tribe survived despite their own disobedience. God provided for these people even though these people were falling all over themselves. Even though the world was collapsing. Even though Pharaoh himself, the most powerful man in the world, had tried to subjugate them, tried to uh, annihilate them through genocide. They just grew. God provided and they grew. And, and Joshua told them some instructions. According to the Lord, he said, each man had to... Now, they crossed over the Jordan, okay? This is the way it happened. The, the priests carried the Ark of the Covenant. The Jordan was at flood stage. It was, imagine, rushing water as it flows north to south towards the Dead Sea. And uh, it's at flood stage. And in order to inherit God's promised land, they had to get a nation of millions across this water. So what God said was, I want the priests to take the ark, and as soon as they step into the water, the waters will stop. And that's exactly what happened. The priests took the ark, the presence of God, the provision of God. As soon as they put their toe in the water, the, the flood waters, the, the, the rushing waters of the Jordan, they stopped upstream, they got bunched up, that's where it stayed. And the nation of millions crossed over into the promised land on dry ground. Now, the water is still stopped. Everybody has gotten to the other side. And Joshua says, 12 men, go back in. Your feet walked across these stones on dry ground. Now what you're going to do, each one of you is going to pick up a stone. And we're going to remember this. So they re-enter the stream. They participate in an act of remembering. And what it does is it enables more acts of trusting in God's provision. They saw the water. They saw what it looked like as it was rushing down. And they saw what God did as He stopped the water. You get across once, right? And you kind of go... And then the Lord says, go back in. Go back in. Trust me enough to go back in. And the reason you can go back in is one, so that you remember me. And the reason you remember me is so that you trust even more the next time I call upon you. The next step in your life. This was, this was nothing. Crossing the Jordan at flood stage was nothing compared to what God was about to call these people to do. And it was all an issue of faith. And the faith was a result of remembrance and thanksgiving. I want to draw this together. I want you to think about this. Why is it so important that as Christian people, we give thanks? Why is it so important that as Christian people, we are people of remembrance? Because it's people who remember and people who give thanks are the people who are most motivated to move forward and do more. And give more. As my friend Nancy Patrick is so profound at saying, you cannot outgive God. It's the people who remember fervently what God has done in their life that are constantly seeking new ways to do more and give more for God. Those are the people that are like, oh, i got to go back in. I'm going back in. Give me another stone. I'm going to mark it right here. God did this great thing right here in my life. This is my moment of thanksgiving. I'm so thankful for this. And the reason I'm so thankful for this is because I got something else that God has in store for me that He wants me to do. That's thanksgiving. And these stones weren't small rocks. Each man picked up a stone from where the priest's feet stood firmly. This represented where God had done His work, where He had stopped the waters. And it, it's healthy to go to those places in your past where God did provide. It's healthy to go to those places where 
um, we learn to trust even more because of what God did. But here's what's interesting. These stones were heavy stones. This wasn't picking up a rock like you go out and skip rocks with your kids. It wasn't like they went in and they said, all right, I want to remember God, which is the smallest rock I can find. It didn't work that way. They went in and they took massive pieces of remembrance. They were going to remember God in a big way. How do I know this? Because Joshua said, put them on your shoulders. If you're picking up a pebble, you don't, you don't walk around with a pebble on your shoulder. When do you put things on your shoulders? When they're so heavy, you can't carry them with your arms. So each one of these men hauls this stone and they put it on their shoulders and they walk out of the stream again in order to build this memorial, this place of remembrance. Our past is full of heavy stones. The things God has done in our lives are big things. Shame on us if we remember them in small ways. The things that we remember and the ways that we remember are to leave an impression to remind us of God's provision in the midst of difficulty. We all know that first Thanksgiving here on this continent it was after that very hard year when the pilgrims landed in Massachusetts. And after that hard year, and God had provided in so many radical and unique ways, He had used the savages to provide for the pilgrims. They celebrated with a bountiful feast. And it probably wasn't like a lot of the stuff that we... There may have been a turkey. Uh, but they probably ate things like cod and lobster and corn and all those sorts of things. Um, but you may not know that the next two years after that were almost just as difficult. They were two years of struggle. And there's some reasons for this. I mean, after a year where people had come to this new continent to worship freely, uh, and they had been successful, and they had set up a colony, a civilization successfully, more people wanted to come. And it put a strain again on what they were able to do. They were no longer able to provide for themselves as they, as they had planned, because now there were more people coming in to the colony from overseas. It meant less food. And then there were battles of drought off and on for two years. And so this is what Governor William Bradford did. He called on his people to do something specific. After the first bountiful year, at the end of that year, they celebrated with a feast. Then they had two years of struggle and hardship and difficulty again. And William Bradford called for Thanksgiving again. And this was the governor's proclamation. He said, Inasmuch as the Great Father has given us this year an abundant harvest of Indian corn, wheat, peas, squashes, and garden vegetables, and made the forest to abound with game and the sea with fish and clams, and inasmuch as He has protected us from the ravages of the savages, has spared us from the pestilence and granted us freedom to worship God according to the dictates of our own conscience, now I, your magistrate, do proclaim that all ye pilgrims with your wives and ye little ones, do gather at ye meeting house on ye hill between the hours of 9 and 12 in the daytime on Thursday, November ye 29th of the year of our Lord, 1623, and the year and the third year since ye pilgrims landed on ye Plymouth Rock, there to listen to ye pastor and render thanksgiving to ye Almighty God for all his blessings. Two years of hardship and struggle and still the focus was to be on what God had provided and to go and worship and give thanks. That's it. It makes me a little sad actually when I think about the cultural creep that has come into Thanksgiving that has made it something so other than this. 
And this from a guy who, I love watching the Lions play the Packers on Thanksgiving Day. I, wa- I love watching the floats go down, you know, past Columbus Circle towards Herald Square in New York. We took our kids a few years ago and we just, on a whim, we're like, let's see if we can get a cheap hotel room. And off we went to New York City and we spent, remember last week I talked about the impulsive Larry and Mindy and that's why we like each other. So we just decided like the week of Thanksgiving, hey, let's bag the turkey, let's take our kids and go make a memory. So we went to New York City and we watched the the um, Thanksgiving Day Parade, the Macy's Parade. It's probably the last time we'll do that. Because when you get like 200 deep in a crowd and your five-year-old says, i got to go to the bathroom. Um, that's tough. But it was fun. And, and, and I'm only saying, like, I, I get it. Like, there's, this is supposed to be enjoyable on many levels. I just, I'm asking that as a Christian people, we keep the main thing the main thing. But God has provided in so many ways. He's been so good. In the good and the bad, God is always good. God is not anything but good and deserving of our thanksgiving. Third thing this morning is this. And this is maybe my favorite point. When we remember and we give thanks, it perpetuates God's faithfulness. When we remember and we give thanks, it perpetuates God's faithfulness. And where this comes from is this this point in in verses 6 to 8. Look, I find myself doing this all the time, and maybe you've done it um, as well. You tell your children the stories of your life. Hopefully you're doing this. You tell your children the stories of your life. My poor children, God love them, they've heard my wife and I's... um, uh, story of how we met and our love story, they've heard this over and over and over again. Um, not by me, by her. She loves to tell that story. What my kids hear for me is, I the story they probably get sick of hearing me talk about all the time, is I grew up in the city of Lancaster. My father was a city police officer. I grew up in the city. And as a young boy, I knew nothing about school buses. Never saw a school bus The only time I ever set foot on a school bus is if we were going on a field trip somewhere outside the city of Lancaster. Actually, three-quarters of my field trips in the city of Lancaster meant walking to the other side of town in a straight line. We would go on field trips and walk from one side of Lancaster to the other. You had to go to the art museum. You want to go to Central Market. We'd just get the kids lined up. We'd take a sack lunch. Everybody had a sack lunch. The teacher would walk in front, and everybody walked on the sidewalks clear to the other side of town. That's the way we did it. So I love to tell my kids the story of walking back and forth to school growing up because they've never known anything except a bus or mom's taxi to get back and forth to school. And I love to tell them the stories about how how far it was. And when my children are racing out to catch the bus and they, they can't find the umbrella, I love to tell them stories of how many days I walked to school and never had an umbrella. I just got drenched. And how I would get, have you ever gotten to school in the morning and your, your pants are soaked up to the knees because of the snow and, and you sit there with wet socks all day long and the stories about the bullies and the, the antics and the pranks that would go on walking back and forth to school. Um, those are times that I would never change. You know, the whole uphill both ways in the snow. That's the way I tell the story. But in verse 6 to 8, Joshua tells the leaders, he says, when your children ask, what do these stones mean to you? This is what you can say. Why do we remember and give thanks? It perpetuates God's faithfulness to the next generation and the next generation and the next generation. Why do I know this? Because this is what God wants to happen. Why build this memorial with these stones? Because someday your children and your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren who are hopefully seeking after the Lord are going to ask questions. They're going to say, well, what did, what did that cancer diagnosis mean to you? Or what did that um, job opportunity mean to you? Or what did, what did your 
romance with mom mean to you? How did that bless you and change your life? And we have to be prepared to point to those things and say, yeah, it means a lot because this is when God did this. This is when God proved faithful here. This is how God provided here. And it's because God did this and God provided here and God was faithful here. It's because of those things that you're going to be okay. If you have Christ, you have everything. So when we build those markers, when we remember at those places in our life, I want you to be encouraged because it's going to be an opportunity. Even this Thanksgiving, as you sit around the table, and I pray that you have opportunity on Thursday to hold hands, to pray, to give thanks. And I pray you have opportunity to be very specific in the things that you tell your children and your grandchildren to say, this is what God has done. This is why I'm thankful. This is my memorial. This is my stone. What are your God stones? What are your God stones? Have you even thought about them? We all have them. You've walked across the Jordan on dry ground. I know you have. What are your stones? How heavy are they? How are you using them to point people towards Christ? What are your memorial markers? What in your life can you point to in order to pass along the faithfulness of God? I'm just going to prepare you now. In your worship guide is a card. And I don't know what's going to come of this, but I wanted to prompt you today, now, in this service, even while I'm talking, I want you to jot down those things. Those things that you're thankful for. Those things that God has done. Those things that you've been blessed through Him and by Him. And you want to recognize this year. I want you to jot those things down and I'll tell you what to do with them at the end of the service. So here. There's obviously a gazillion things. Endless numbers of things that we can give thanks to God for this year. But I wanted to highlight the tip of the thankfulness iceberg. Scripturally. The highlights of things that all of us can give thanks to God for this Thanksgiving season. And the first is this. We thank God for His goodness. His goodness. In Psalm 107, verse 1, the psalmist said this, O give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His steadfast love endures forever. One of my favorite praise songs, give thanks to the Lord, our God and King, His love endures forever. It's because He's good. It's, it's never should get tiring to say that over and over again. He is a good God. And like I said earlier, even when your situations are bad, God is good. He can't be anything but good. The second thing is this. We thank God for God's Word and its work. We thank God for His Word and His work. Just to simply read this is a privilege. It is an incredible privilege that God would give us His Word. But it's also important to remember that His Word is working. It's always working. Don't ever doubt it. There's power in God's Word. Even when you think it's not working, it is working. The best thing you can do is utilize God's Word. You need assurance in your life. Utilize God's Word. Put God's Word to work. You need to assure somebody else. Utilize God's Word. Put God's Word to work. You want to see conviction fall upon or somebody to become repentant towards the Lord. Use God's Word and allow God's Word to work. We think we need to be the master apologist. No, just use God's Word and set it loose and watch it work. According to God, His Word is at work. And we need to thank Him for that. In 1 Thessalonians 2, Paul put it this way. He said, and we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. Is God's word at work in you? 
Let's give Him thanks for that today. We thank God, point three, for deliverance from sin through Christ. Sin is a sin is an unbearable weight thrown around us like a ball and chain that none of us can escape, that drags us down to death. Yet we have this hope, as Paul says in Romans 7. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my minds, my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. It is through Christ that we have been delivered from the ball and chain of sin. Which brings us to the fourth point. We give thanks to God for the victory over death. I pray that these never become a ho-hum to us. This is my favorite time of year because uh, I enjoy hunting. I enjoy getting out in the fall and in the winter, spending time outdoors. And a lot of times that means time spent in personal reflection and prayer. And, um, you know, I lost my dad this year. And uh, Mindy and I were uh, went to see uh, his... Uh, what do you call it? Like it's where he was interred, his marker, grave marker. Anyway, um, and death is one of those things. Like I said to her on Friday, it's so strange after you bury both your parents that it becomes keenly aware that you're the next generation, and death comes to everybody. Physical death comes to everybody. Um, And how much with each passing year I become more reflective upon what the end years will look like in my life. I mean, I'm not old. I'm only 43. But now, if the average age of a man is, what, 80? You start thinking like, well, now you're on the backside. And you feel blessed that you're actually there You've made it that far. That's God's grace. But you start thinking like, I have this assurance, and I don't know exactly what that day or what that moment will look like, but the assurance I do have is that Christ has already stepped in at that moment so that I can be confident in the fact that it will be good things that await me when I pass from this life into eternal life. Um. To reflect on that frequently is a good thing, I think. This life is full of circumstances, ups and downs, pains and loss. And at the end of the day, each one of us will step out of this existence into eternity. And it's because of Christ that we need not fear that day. And that when we say goodbye to fellow believers who have passed before us, it's it's merely a see you later. It's not a goodbye forever. So, as nice as it is, you know, to go to a gravestone or something and remember somebody, in reality, you know that person's not there. In reality, you're just waiting to catch up with them again. And I thank God for that. I thank God for the love of the church, point five. It's a good thing to give thanks for what we have here. There's a lot of reasons. When you bring a mixed bag of, let's be honest, goofy people together into one family with all kinds of backgrounds and situations and sinfulness and personalities, it makes sense that this thing here called the church is going to get weird at times. But that's all the more reason that we need to give thanks for it. We step on each other's toes. We elbow each other from time to time. We get on each other's nerves. But reality is, the same blood of Christ that saves us, all of us, runs the common thread between us. And we must give thanks for that. In 2 Thessalonians 1.3, Paul put it this way, 
We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, as is right, because your faith is growing abundantly and the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. Maybe we could make that a goal of our church, that the love for one another would be increasing. My wife and I are, some people think we're crazy, but we decided to open our home up at Christmas just for church fellowship, Christmas fellowship. If you all came at once, that would be really interesting. But it's all good because we're family. And uh, we need to do things strategically from time to time that invite the family into your life deeper and closer so that relationships can be built and we can love one to another more and more. And we give thanks for that. You may not agree with this, but scripturally speaking, point six, we need to give thanks to God for the opportunity to serve. The opportunity to serve Him. He doesn't need you, does He? Last I checked, He created the whole entire world and the heavens and everything in it without your help. But God has invited us to serve with Him. 1 Timothy 1.12 Paul says to Timothy, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has given me strength that He considered me faithful, appointing me to His service. Towards the end of his life, Paul was he was not in good shape. Between the imprisonments and the aging and the beatings, you know, the dude was beat nigh unto death several times. And yet, God kept seeing fit and whatever his thorn in the flesh was, we don't know what it was, but it must have been bugging him pretty bad. He asked the Lord to take it away. And God said, no, keep it, because you're going to do even more with it than without. And we look at our life and we can find a million excuses why God shouldn't use us and why we shouldn't serve the Lord. And yet the Lord continues to invite us in to serve Him. That's good. That is good. We have to jump on those things and give thanks to God that He actually allows us to do it. Instead of looking at it as a as a big challenge or a point of frustration in our life, look at the opportunities to serve God for what they are. Reasons to give thanks. Because He can use somebody else. And I don't want to be the dude on the sideline while God is doing something big through somebody else. I want God to use me for something big. Point seven, we thank God for our daily provision and care. Most of you got up this morning and probably didn't think twice about the fact that you turned on your faucet and clean water came out. Or, especially today, the water that came out of your shower head was hot. In Acts 27.35, said when he had said these things, being Jesus, this is uh, the writer referring to the Last Supper, he took bread and giving thanks to God in the presence of all, he broke it and he began to eat. Um, with my children, it's a constant learning uh, lesson uh, with regard to eating. And um, from time to time, the children will just, not that your children ever do this, but mine, come into the kitchen like, you know, right around dinner time, and they're like, I'm starving! When's dinner? I'm dying! Right? And they just had a snack when they got home from school. And um, so finally when dinner is ready, you go in the other room, dinner will be ready in a couple minutes. And then when you finally put the plate on the table, they plate themselves and they go in and they sit down at the dinner table. And in our house, you do not touch your plate until everybody has sat down at the table until we have opportunity to give thanks. And inevitably, every now and then, it's this, I'm so hungry, can I just pray on my own? No, you can wait. It's good. Um, Now, at least they asked if they could pray on their own. I mean, that's encouraging to me. But in the even the simplest things of life, in the simplest of provisions, which could just be a piece of meatloaf on the plate in front of you, which meatloaf... To me, that's a big blessing. I love meatloaf. But even if it's just a simple piece of meatloaf, we give thanks to God because He did not have to give it to us. He didn't. Ask the pilgrims. He did not 
have to give them corn. But yet he took the savages, and through their so-called enemies, God provided food and sustenance. Something that they could grow over and over again with ease that put out a big amount. And to this day, I mean, like, the biggest food product that Americans consume, I think, is corn. Corn chips, corn on your plate, uh, corn syrup. It's everywhere. Corn in your cereal, corn pops. Corn is everywhere. You don't even realize half the places corn is. God does not have to give it to us, and yet He does, even in the simplest things. Eight, last point this morning is this. This is going to rock your world. Give thanks to God for all things. All things. Paul seemed to have no problem figuring this out. Ephesians 5. And give thanks for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. What are all things? Exactly that. All things. You're struggling with an affliction? Give thanks to God. This is going to sound radical. And this is maybe a sermon for another day. You lose a job? Give thanks to God. You get a job? Give thanks to God. Um, You're hurting in a particular area? Give thanks to God. And here's why. Because in all those things, God proves Himself faithful and strong and capable. There are good moments for us to remember that we are actually not in control of our lives. That the Lord is the one who sustains and grows and maintains. So, the more we learn to thank God in all things, I think the healthier our perspective of our sovereign God. So here's what I want to do. I'm going to ask Rachel to come forward. In closing, hopefully you filled out those sheets. If you haven't, we're going to do that quickly now. And this is going to springboard into next week's message. But I want you to fill that out, and we're going to have a time just a reflection. Not long, maybe about three minutes. Rachel's going to pray. And in the front here are two just simple cork boards and some push pins. I want you to grab a push pin and I want you to stake to that board in front of the church here those things which you are thankful to God for this Thanksgiving. We're going to leave them up this week. So, if it's something really personal just between you and God, you know, people may pass by here and read it. And, it, you know, if you're really worried about that, even though we're family, but if it's something you're struggling with, don't feel like you have to put it or you can be a little vague. God knows. But I want a time of just public opportunity for us to stand and come before the Lord and post before our church family those things that we're thankful to God for. Right? And then we're going to use that and come in uh, next week and build off of those references. And then as we, uh, as we begin to wrap up, I'll close in prayer. Okay?